Well, hey, good morning, everybody, to you who are our guests today. For all of you gathered in a house church, to all you kids, happy Sunday to you. Welcome again to the Edge Church. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I, I want to give a special shout out this morning to our newest house church, the Aurora West group, who is gathering together for the first time. Uh, been praying for you all. Really excited about uh, what God, I believe God's going to do in and through your gathering. So so yeah, looking forward to hearing about that. Today we are continuing on in our sermon series that we're calling Empowered, where, where we've been walking together through the book of Acts in the Bible, which tells us really just the story of how God, the Holy Spirit, fills and empowers the church, the people of God, to follow Jesus and be on his mission. And so last week, Pastor Neil shared about how the Holy Spirit empowered the church to minister. And, and if you missed that, we had just a great time then in our own gathering, um, uh, taking time just to minister to one another, to pray for one another. My hope is that this will be something that we continue to do as we gather. That's something that we grow in, something that we continue to practice uh, that that we'd be a people of great faith and 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 a people just with an ever increasing hope and joy and trust in the Lord. That we would be bold enough uh, to come before the Lord and to ask of Him, to to ask the Lord to fill us, to ask the Lord to sustain us, to ask the Lord to to minister His healing in all the different uh, broken and hurting places in our lives, trusting Him with the outcome, so that no matter if the outcome of that, the answer is yes or no or wait, that, that our trust will be in the Lord, knowing that God is with us through it all, and that God is, is going to be good to us and do a good work in it all. T today, we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Acts, and we're going to look today uh, together at how the Holy Spirit empowers the church to be the body of Christ. And so I, I just want to pray. I want to invite you to pray. And then we'll jump into our text together this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time, this moment. God, thank you that you are present right now, Lord, that you're available. Holy Spirit, just pray that you would move upon each and every heart. God, that you'd, you'd give every single person from the youngest to the oldest, God, ears just to hear from you. Uh, Lord, help our hearts just to be wide open to you, God, to receive what you have for us, to receive what you want to say to us, God, uh, to move as you call us to, Lord. I pray that you would just transform and change us according to your word. Lord, we give you this time. Have your way in it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you, you know, when I was a kid growing up, probably the thing that I loved doing most was playing sports. I, I don't know if that's familiar or, or true for you, but 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 for me, it was like pretty much any sport. And from the time that I was in kindergarten all the way up into college, I was on one team or another. I played baseball. I, I played soccer. I played basketball. I even played some high school football. Uh, I ran cross country and track for many, many years. Um, but I just love sports. I, I, I loved competing and I loved being on teams and the and really the relationship and the bonds and the camaraderie that was formed as you work together with others in the pursuit of a common goal. 
Uh, now, for, for all of you who've been on a sports team or, or maybe even just on any kind of team, you're probably familiar with some of the sort of sayings and slogans that coaches and people in the sports world throw a, around uh, to teams. One of the popular ones I used to hear a lot was this one, there's no I in team. Maybe you've heard that one before. And yeah, basically it just means, hey, it's not all about you right? Like you might be a great player, but, but it takes a whole team to win. That was kind of the idea. So it's like, so don't be selfish, all right? Like do it together, go together, share with one another. Everybody do your part. Everybody contribute because that's what it takes to achieve the goal. There's no I in team, right? A, a, another popular slogan that you may have heard is this one, right? That teamwork makes the dream work. I don't know if you ever heard that one before, but really, again, pretty simply, it just means that, look, we're going to be better together. We can make it to that finish line if we go together, right? Good things happen when we work together. That's really the idea. And, and, and essentially, that's, that is true for a team. It's also pretty much true for a business or organization. It's, it's generally pretty true for a family, and it's even true when it comes to the church, the family of God. And so this is what we're going to see in our text today. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So stop right there. Here, here's what's happening, right? The church has been growing and thriving, lots of wins. People are coming to faith in Jesus. People are being baptized. They're gathering together regularly to study God's word and know God's word and, and pray. And, and they're giving, they're meeting the needs of those in their community, all good things. But now we have a little bit of conflict. All right, back in chapter 5, we, we read about how the church faced external persecution from religious and governmental leaders. And now in chapter 6, we have internal conflict within the church. And, and, and the issue here is about the care for widows and how one group known as the Hellenists are being treated or cared for differently or less than than another group uh, known as the Hebrews. Now, probably for most of us, these names don't mean a whole lot, but but essentially these are two categories of Jewish people that are distinct ethnically and culturally. As the Roman Empire spread and, and began its occupation of Israel, the people faced a great deal of persecution and opposition. And so some of God's people decided like, like hey, we're going to stay here near the temple so that, that we can hold fast to our, our traditions and, and our Hebrew language, right? These were known as then the Hebraic Jews. Other Jews, though, they got out of there. They're like, they're like we got to get away from this place. We got to get a away from these oppressors. And so they fled and took residence elsewhere among the Gentiles, adopting the language and the culture of that place. And so the Hellenists were one of these groups who had adopted Greek language and Greek culture. And so now both Hebrews and Hellenists have come to faith in Jesus. So they, they both surrendered their life to Jesus and they're, they're following Jesus and they're gathering together. So the church is growing, it's changing, and that's good. But there are some differences that have resulted in some conflict. And specifically, the, the Hellenist widows, it says, are overlooked when it comes to their daily distribution of food. One of the things that the early church was doing was, was helping to meet the needs of widows who 
really without a husband, were left without much of an income. They were, they, they were probably going to be impoverished and, and really vulnerable. And so the church stepped in to, to love and to care for these widows by providing food for them. And, and the problem is, is that the Hebrew uh, widows were being well taken care of. They, they were getting what they needed and provided the food, but, but, but the Hellenist widows, they, they were being overlooked. They were sort of being skipped over. And so, of course, there's going to be some tension that arises. There's some, there's some favoritism that's happening here. There's some stuff in the church that needs to get worked out and figured out as people who are different are coming together. Now, that's generally pretty true of every church everywhere, starting all the way back with the first century church all the way up to today, right? Something that has been historically true of the church is this, there are no perfect people, so therefore there are no perfect churches, right? And that, that, that isn't an excuse for us not to deal with issues or make corrections, but, but it ought to humble us a little bit and, and, and perhaps help us to lean into grace for one another as we recognize that all of us are a people in process, right? Like all of us are growing from babies in Christ into mature Believers, I heard someone say once that spiritual uh, babies will always make some spiritual diapers, right? M meaning that the church is going to be a little messy sometimes. Churches grow and change and face new and different challenges and needs, and there's lots of questions to be answered and, 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 and things to be addressed along the way. The church doesn't simply arrive so much as it evolves as we follow Jesus and look to his word and, 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 and we listen for the Holy Spirit and follow the Spirit as he leads us in each and every season. So, so, so this is where the early church is. They're facing some growing pains and some challenges and some conflict. And so, so how do they address this? How do they make it work? Look at verse 2. It says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men of good reputation from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So, so what's the answer, uh, the apostles' answer to the church's need here, right? It, it's really teamwork makes the dream work, right? It, it, it's, it isn't, here's what we, being the apostles, need to do. It's really, here's what we, the church, what we need to do. The answer is us. It's not a person. It's people. The, the late evangelist and teacher D.L. Moody once said, I would rather get 10 men to do the job than to do the job of 10 men. Listen, the ministry of the church is not a job for one person or even really for a few people doing all the things, but for every person doing their thing, doing their part. Because one person, no matter how gifted that person is, cannot do the ministry of the church alone. It takes a team. Now, notice here also that this is a team based on gifting and calling. Our, our, our gifting has to do with, with our God-given talents and abilities and passions, right? But that, that, that's our gifting. Our calling is the task that God has set us apart for. The, the, the apostles here, they go so far as to say this. They say, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Hold up, right? Like, like 
that seems like one of those statements that would probably stir up a little bit of controversy in the church, doesn't it? Right, like, 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 hey, hey, we're going to uh, uh, be giving. We're, we're, we're going to like not give any of our time to feed hungry people, right? Instead, we're going to be just devoted to our time sharing God's word. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, who do you think you are, apostles? Right? Like, Jesus fed hungry people. You guys think you're better than Jesus? Like, like, do you think you're too big and too important for this kind of work? Isn't it really easy for us to fall into that kind of thinking, right? That kind of judgment towards one another. Well, rather than seeing the work that God has called each of us to and then encouraging one another in that work, we just judge others for what they're not doing or even worse for what they're not doing that's actually ours to do. See, what makes the church of Jesus Christ unique is not just our good works, but the good news. It's not just our helping of people, but it's also the preaching and sharing of God's word, which the Bible says is the power of God to bring salvation to those who hear and believe. That's why it's of a first importance for these apostles, along with prayer, right? That, 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 that these things, the God's word and prayer, they're meant to be something that's important in the church today. Ministry is both words and works. And God may gift you and use you specifically with words or with works for the good and growth of his church and to help other people know and experience Jesus. So our goal then shouldn't be to be the same. Our goal should be to each bring the gift that God has given us to share. The, the apostles, they know what their gifting is. It's, it's to preach God's word and to pray and then to release God's people into their gifting and calling. That, that's a work of leaders in the church. Here at the Edge, that's the part of the work of our elder team, to, to teach and to encourage you in God's word, to pray and to contend for you in prayer and, and to call you up and release you into your gifting and calling for the sake of the church and the kingdom of God. It, it's a holy spirit infused work, right? With each person bringing their gift and fulfilling their call. Teamwork makes the dream work. So, so the apostles say in verse three, they say, brothers and sisters, choose seven men of good reputation from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them, right? No, notice the apostles, they, they don't just choose some people who are able to meet the need, right? Rather, they choose people who are gifted and called to the task. And verse 5 tells us, it says, this proposal pleased the whole group, right? Everybody's on board. There's unity there amongst the church. They were united in meeting this need and in sharing this responsibility. And so it says, well, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip and and Prochorus and and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas and Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, meaning that they commissioned them, right? Meaning that they entrusted authority to them to carry out their work. They released them into their gifting and calling. When we commission leaders here at the edge or parents who are called to lead in their home or or missionaries who are being sent out. We lay hands on them. We pray over them and we release them with a blessing into their calling. This is what the apostles are doing here. They're saying, look, these are God's chosen people for this work. Now, 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 something that's probably not obvious in our reading is that all seven of these men have Greek names. 
And so clearly, they chose people who are able to speak Greek so they can relate to these Hellenist widows, right? They are especially gifted for this special work that God has prepared for them. And it was evident to the disciples, to those in that local church, that these were the men for the job. One of the ways that you can find and discover your gifts and calling in ministry is by asking others in the church who actually really know you and have spent time with you what it is that they see in you. You can ask what gifts that they recognize in you. You can also try serving in a way and see if there's a fit there and a sense of calling in that for you that others are able to see and confirm. And if it isn't in that area of ministry, you can try something else and see if maybe it's there. Now, when it comes to this group specifically of seven attacks, some theologians believe that this is the first deacon team of Scripture. And, and it's possible that it is. We just don't know for sure based on our text. But, but here at the Edge, our deacon team, they, they fill a very similar role in the church as this team in Acts 6. Our, our, our deacons, they take care of the physical and tangible needs of our church body. They're organizing meals. They're helping people with finances. They're providing assistance in whatever ways that they can so that our elder team can continue to prioritize teaching and praying and discipling and releasing people into their gift and calling. We, we actually have a really awesome group of deacons at our church, and we're super thankful for them. But listen, whether or not you're an elder or a deacon or not every single one of you is gifted and called and been placed in the family of God, his body, his church with purpose and on purpose. In fact, the Bible refers to us many times as the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about this very thing in 1 Corinthians 12. Listen, he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. He wants us to get that. He says, listen, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, listen, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Paul, Paul, he makes this analogy between our physical body and, and the body of Christ, the church, which in one sense is meant to tell us how close we're meant to be as brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? Because like, how close is your body? It's close, right? Like, like you've never once said, like, like, I haven't seen that finger or that ear in forever, right? Like, like it only shows up when it needs something on rare occasions. Right? Like, like, like we're meant to be this one body. But Paul also says here that though we're one body, we're, we're not all the same part. Uh, and that's actually a good thing because it takes all the parts to be a body. And so he says, essentially says, listen, don't underestimate your significance and don't overestimate your importance when it comes to the body. Every part is needed. Paul says, you, church, are the body. And each of you, no matter how old 
or young is a needed and important part with a specific role and function that helps this body be whole and complete and functioning rightly. Kids, that includes you. Teenagers, that includes you. Young adults, that includes you. Adults and older adults, right? Older adults, that includes you. This is for everybody. You you can't be the body by yourself. We can't be a full body without you. Earlier in verses 4 through 7, Paul says, listen, he says, guys, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit who distributes them. There's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. He says, like, listen, God has has gifted you, each of you, uniquely and differently with distinct gifts and abilities. You're not all same, uh, the same part of the body, right? But we all have a part. We don't all have the same gift, but all the gifts are needed. And so he says in verse 7, he says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He says, listen, the Holy Spirit has empowered you. The Holy Spirit has gifted you not for your individual good, but for the common good, which essentially just means your gifts are not all about you. Your gifts are more about us. Being part of the body isn't about you or me demanding the part that we want to be, but, but, but it's us actually being the part that God made us to be. It's, it's bringing and offering our gift for the sake of the body. For, for our good and our health and our growth in Jesus, for the sake of the gospel and what God wants to do in and through his body. The, the, the question for each of us to answer is, am I bringing the gift that God has given me to bring and being the part of the body God has made me to be? Can you say that today? M- maybe your gifting is more of a ministry of words, Right? Maybe your gifting is more preaching or praying or counseling or teaching, teaching kids, youth, small group, some kind of group, right? It's encouraging. Or or, or maybe it's more of a ministry of works. It's serving and building and fixing and organizing. It's doing and getting things done. Whatever it is, it's meant to be used in the body. And the body will never be whole and fully functioning without you bringing your gift, right? It's no small thing to not bring and use your gift. So consider what it is. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you, right? To point you to what God has gifted you to bring. Ask others in the church. Try some things. See how the Lord leads you and and how he and others affirm you in that gift. We are the body of Christ and each of us is a part of it. Again, back to our text. Now, we we don't know if this group that's listed here is, is deacons or not, but we do know that this group was chosen and commissioned to minister. And, and, and we're given here a criteria in verse 3 that the early church set for leading in ministry, something that we should continue to be mindful of today. And, and here's what it gives us. The first thing it tells us is that a leader should be somebody who has a good reputation. Right? They were to be chosen from among the people as those with a good reputation. Reputation, meaning these were people who were known by the community. They'd been around for a bit, right? People knew what they were like. They knew what they were about. So it wasn't just about how they saw themselves, but about how others saw them. They could vouch for them. They weren't just good men, right? They were known to be good men. Secondly, it says that they were to be full of the Holy Spirit, right? That means that, one, these are people who had put their faith in Jesus, Right? They, they were believers. They weren't just anybody. Right? They, were, they were believers in Christ. And there was an evident work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. 
This is a person who's been changed by the Spirit of God, right? Like, like they, they've sinned, they've made mistakes, but they're not like they used to be. They're, they're growing, they're maturing, they're more like Jesus, and the fruit of the Spirit is evident in their life. So, so, so you can observe this person, you can observe their life, and you can look at them and say, yeah, there's, there's love there. Yeah, there's joy there. Yeah, you know what? There's peace. This is a person of peace. This is a person of patience. This is a person uh, with, with kindness and, and goodness. This is, this is a faithful person. This is a person who you can count on, who shows up, right? Like, this is a gentle person. They don't lose it on this is This is a self-controlled person. They're not given to excess in all these different ways, right? There was a yieldedness that they had to the Holy Spirit. They listened and obeyed and followed as God led them. They were full of the Spirit. And thirdly, it says that they were to be full of wisdom, right? They were to be spiritual and practical. These were a people who were to know how to get some things done, right? They could take understanding and put it into practice. Wisdom is the uh, ability to understand rightly and to bring clarity and solutions to situations and circumstances, mostly by applying the truth of God's Word. And, and so this is a person who could say, hey, here's what's going on. Uh, here's what God says, so here's what we're going to do about it. When they were looking for people to lead, they were looking for a team made up of people who had a good reputation, right, in the church. People who were full of the Spirit. People who were full of wisdom. And, and the apostles, they understood that if these elements are, were missing, right, like, like if someone is ill-prepared in character or in maturity or in ability and just put them into a role that they aren't ready to handle, that the whole, uh, that, uh, that just, there's a whole lot of damage that that leader could ultimately do. It's a dangerous thing to elevate one's gifting above one's calling. So thank you, early church, right, for sharing this wisdom with us uh, all the way back then so, so that we have something that we can look to and as we call up leaders today. Now, when it, come, when it came to this list of seven men in Acts 6, verse 5, right, it says, like, like, they were ready, they were of good reputation, they were gifted, they were called, and so they were commissioned and they were given this ministry to lead. Teamwork makes the dream work, right? So when, when each of us is in our right place as part of the body, working together, functioning in our gifting and calling, incredible things happen, and the kingdom of God advances. Look at verse 7. It says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is what happens, right, when each part of the body offers its gift in service to the Lord and to one another. The word of God spreads. People hear, and they see, and they experience, and people come to faith in Jesus, even those who seem like the least likely candidates. Luke here, he makes sure to mention the priests of the day, right, who came to faith, because this would have been like a seemingly impossible thing to happen apart from a work of the Holy Spirit. These Jewish priests, they were, they were devout, right, in their traditions. They were staunch opponents of the gospel. And suddenly now some of those same priests who had conspired with others to bring charges against Jesus and have him crucified on a cross, they are now surrendering their lives to the risen Christ and being transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. Right? This would be like a wave of salvation washing over the greatest critics of our faith and the most notable atheists of our day. This is the power of the gospel 
and what happens when the body of Christ comes together as one, each part offering their gift. Listen, if we want to see the gospel grow in and through our lives, if we want to see the gospel go out from us into our families and into our neighborhoods and into our cities, then it's going to take all of us doing our part. And if each of us is using our gift and each of us is being our part of the body, then Lord willing, we will see people come to faith in Jesus, even the priests of our day. Teamwork makes the dream work. This was the dream and, and really the vision that Jesus had of his church. This was his prayer for us before he ever went to the cross. And he prayed to the Father in John 17 saying, let them, talking about us, be one as we are one so that the world would know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. God wants to save the world, right? That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus rose again. That's why Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, right? God loves the world and he wants them to see that and know that and receive that, that they might be saved. And the way he's going to do that is through us, his body, his church being one. All of us bring, offering our gift and being the part that God has made us to be. May that be true of us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that encourages us, that inspires us, that, that calls us to be, Lord, the, the people you've made us to be in you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in your church, that you would move in us, Lord. God, that we would be that body, that each one of us, Lord, would function in our gifting, in our calling, that each of us would offer that, Lord, for the sake of one another and the sake of the gospel. God, that you'd reveal that to us. It would help us to see what actually is ours to offer and bring, God. And, and Lord, that help us to step into the calling that you have for us, Lord, even if it's hard, even if it's scary. Lord, I, I pray that you would just affirm that in each and every heart, Lord, what it is that you have for us in this time, this season. God, and that we would be so bold as to follow you as you lead. God, thanks for your church. Lord, thanks for brothers and sisters. God, thank you for how you put us together. But I pray that you would just continue to knit our hearts together in you. And Lord, that you would lead us. Lord, that, that together, Lord, that we can fulfill your mission for us here on the earth and display your kingdom. So God, have your way. Um, Lord, yeah, stir our hearts, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.